you are now tuned into World War II Stories. I'm your host, Steve Matthews, and I'm here to take you on a journey through the whirlwind of historical events that shaped our world and defined generations. Stay tuned every Tuesday and Thursday as we delve into the riveting, inspiring, and sometimes tragic stories from World War II. We'll meet the brave men and women who stood up to tyranny, we'll explore clandestine operations and daring escapes, and we'll pay tribute to the resilience of the human spirit in times of extreme adversity. Also, be sure to check out our other podcast focusing on World War I, the conflict that set the stage for the global turmoil that followed. Use the link in the description below. As the 1940s dawned, a tempest brewed across the world threatening to pull nations into a whirlpool of conflict unlike any seen before. At the heart of the Pacific, the tranquil beauty of Kwajalein and the Marshall Islands belied their strategic importance. This serene archipelago, home to vibrant coral reefs and turquoise lagoons, would soon become a fulcrum in the Pacific theater of World War II, a crucible of blood and courage that would tip the balance of power. The battle lines were drawn. The sun was rising in the east, where the Empire of Japan was extending its reach across the Pacific, aiming to create a protective sphere of influence. Their desire for expansion found resistance in the Allied powers, most significantly the United States, who viewed the Pacific Ocean as their strategic backyard. The small atoll of Kwajalein in the Marshall Islands was about to become a battleground. Its capture was pivotal in the grand strategy of the Allies as a stepping stone to deeper Pacific operations. It was an impending clash of titans, a struggle of two military juggernauts beneath the swaying palms and over the white sands. This is the story of the Battle of Kwajalein, a tale of strategic planning, tenacious defense, fierce attacks, human courage, and the relentless march of history. It is a story of individuals caught in the machinery of global conflict, of decisions made in far-off command centers and their ramifications on the front line. The echoes of this battle rippled across the Pacific, influencing the course of World War II and leaving a lasting legacy in its wake. We invite you on this journey to understand the events leading up to this battle, the furious combat, the triumphant and tragic aftermath, and the enduring impact of this significant episode of human history. Chapter 1. Prologue to Conflict In the early 1940s, the world was teetering on the edge of chaos. Far away from the azure waters and white sand beaches of Kwajalein, powerful men in Europe and Asia were moving pieces on the global chessboard, setting the stage for a conflict of unprecedented scale. Among these figures was Adolf Hitler, the dictatorial chancellor of Germany, whose aggressive expansionist policies had ignited the flames of war in Europe. Meanwhile, in the Far East, Japanese Prime Minister Hideki Tojo was steering his country on a similar course, driven by a vision of a greater East Asia co-prosperity sphere. Japan, a nation steeped in tradition yet eager to modernize, found itself increasingly at odds with Western powers. Their hunger for natural resources, driven by a booming industrial economy and a desire for self-sufficiency, led them to cast their gaze upon resource-rich Southeast Asia and the Pacific. However, these territories were not unclaimed, they were firmly under Western colonial rule or influence, with American presence looming large in the Philippines and numerous Pacific islands. 
In the United States, President Franklin D. Roosevelt, a consummate statesman, was watching these developments with growing concern. Japan's invasion of China in 1937 and subsequent brutal occupation had already strained relations. To Roosevelt, a Pacific at peace was of paramount importance, both for the security of American territories and the flow of trade. As such, he had to navigate a delicate balancing act of deterrence and diplomacy, all the while preparing the American military for the possible dawn of war. On December 7, 1941, this delicate balance collapsed. The smoke rising from the smoldering wreckage of the Pacific Fleet at Pearl Harbor marked the end of American neutrality and the beginning of the country's direct involvement in World War II. The world held its breath as the United States, roused to action by the surprise attack, declared war on Japan. Suddenly, the tiny atoll of Kwajalein found itself on the strategic map, its fate entwined with the monumental struggle about to unfold across the Pacific. Amidst the vast expanse of the Pacific Ocean, the Marshall Islands appeared as a sprinkle of green jewels set against an azure backdrop. The islands, a collection of coral atolls and volcanic formations, were part of the larger Micronesian group of islands. Among these, Kwajalein stood out as the largest atoll, its string of islets forming a bow that encircled a beautiful lagoon. With swaying palm trees, white sandy beaches, and clear waters, Kwajalein was a paradise, far removed from the troubling world beyond its horizon. Yet, beneath this tranquil exterior, Kwajalein held significant strategic value. It was positioned almost directly between Hawaii and the Philippines, making it a potential springboard for military operations towards either direction. Its lagoon, one of the largest in the world, could serve as an excellent harbor for naval vessels. This was a fact not lost on the Japanese, who had held the marshals since the end of World War I as a League of Nations mandate. Admiral Isoroku Yamamoto, commander-in-chief of the Japanese Combined Fleet, played a critical role in the militarization of Kwajalein. An insightful strategist, Yamamoto understood that if Japan was to maintain its Pacific holdings against potential U.S. counterattacks, they needed to fortify key locations. Kwajalein became one of these spots, transforming from a peaceful paradise into a bristling fortress. For the Marshallese people, these were times of great upheaval. Their tranquil way of life was disrupted, replaced by the iron fist of a foreign military power. Yet amidst this turmoil, leaders like Chief Kabua emerged, striving to maintain their people's dignity and culture. Kabua, a respected figure, carefully navigated the tumultuous waters of wartime, focusing on protecting his people's interests while dealing with the occupying Japanese forces. As the global conflict escalated, so did the tension on Kwajalein. The people of the island, from the Marshallese residents to the Japanese soldiers, could sense that the drums of war were growing louder. This small atoll, seemingly insignificant in the grand scheme of world affairs, was about to take center stage in a battle that would shape the course of the war in the Pacific. In the halls of power, the conversation was changing. War was no longer a distant thunder, but a gathering storm on the horizon. Japan's surprise attack on Pearl Harbor had shaken the world and drawn the United States into a conflict it had long sought to avoid. 
President Roosevelt, along with his top military advisors, such as General George Marshall, the Army Chief of Staff, and Admiral Ernest King, the Chief of Naval Operations, were now faced with an urgent task. They needed to formulate a strategy that would strike back at the heart of the Empire of Japan. Halfway across the world, the situation was also intense. Prime Minister Hideki Tojo and Admiral Yamamoto were fully committed to the war effort, pushing their forces across Southeast Asia and the Pacific, their military machine fueled by a belief in their divine destiny to rule Asia. The vast Pacific Ocean stood as a barrier between the two opposing forces, with numerous islands scattered across its breadth. One of these was Kwajalein, a relatively small atoll but of great strategic importance. Back in Washington, a plan began to take shape. The Pacific theater of war was too vast to be taken in one go. A strategy of island hopping was decided upon, where key islands and atolls would be captured, serving as stepping stones to Japan. Kwajalein was identified as one of these stepping stones. Its capture would provide a forward base for operations deeper into the Pacific, directly threatening Japan's core territories. Meanwhile, on Kwajalein, life was changing. The Japanese military presence was growing, with the once peaceful atoll gradually being fortified with bunkers, artillery positions, and airstrips. The Marshallese, under the leadership of Chief Kabua, were caught in the middle, their lives dramatically altered by a war they had no part in starting. The wheels of war were now in motion. The decisions made in distant capitals were converging on this tiny atoll in the Pacific. Kwajalein and its inhabitants braced themselves, their fate intertwined with the strategies and ambitions of powers beyond their shores. The road to war had been paved, leading to a battle that would forever alter the course of their lives and the history of the world. Chapter 2 The Shadow of War Descends The decision had been made. In the hallowed corridors of the Pentagon, top U.S. military brass, led by Admiral Chester Nimitz, the commander-in-chief of the Pacific Fleet, and General Douglas MacArthur, supreme commander of the Allied forces in the southwest Pacific area, had been meticulously crafting a plan. The goal was simple but daunting, dislodge Japan's stronghold on Kwajalein. It was a crucial step in their strategy to inch closer to the heart of the Japanese Empire. Nimitz, a man known for his calm demeanor and strategic acumen, understood the enormity of the task. It wasn't just about deploying an overwhelming force, meticulous planning, preparation, and reconnaissance were key. Kwajalein's defense structures, personnel strength, and potential weak points needed to be known. Navy scouts and intelligence officers worked around the clock, assembling a detailed picture of the enemy defenses. At the same time, Admiral Raymond Spruance was preparing his Fifth Fleet. He understood that the battle for Kwajalein would be a grueling test for his men. Troops were trained in amphibious warfare, rehearsing the tricky art of landing on defended beaches. Sailors and airmen honed their skills, knowing that they would be the first to engage the enemy. Spruance, a seasoned naval officer, imparted his troops with a simple mantra preparation would be the key to victory. Far away, on Kwajalein, the mood was tense. 
Japanese forces under the command of Rear Admiral Manzo Akiyama had been working tirelessly to fortify the atoll. They knew an attack was coming, but when and in what strength remained a mystery. Akiyama, a battle-hardened veteran, understood that his men were isolated. They would be outnumbered and outgunned. His orders from Tokyo were clear, hold Kwajalein at all costs. Preparations went on at a feverish pace, with bunkers being reinforced, supply lines secured, and every man prepared for the battle to come. Amidst these preparations, life for the Marshallese had become a strange and dangerous routine. They were caught in the gears of a vast war machine, their once tranquil home now a fortress bristling with guns. As the Americans and Japanese prepared for battle, the Marshallese prepared for survival. Chief Kabua, their resilient leader, did his best to provide comfort and reassurance, even as the shadow of war darkened their doorstep. The stage was set. On one side, an entrenched force prepared to defend, and on the other, an ambitious adversary readied for the assault. As the final preparations were made, the world watched, and Kwajalein waited. The storm of war was about to break. The transformation of Kwajalein under Japanese occupation was remarkable. The once serene atoll had become a military bastion, its white sandy beaches scarred by the formidable structures of war. Kwajalein was now a stronghold of the Japanese Empire, reflecting the military might of a nation willing to defend its Pacific territories to the last man. At the helm of this formidable defense was Rear Admiral Manzo Akiyama. A seasoned naval officer with a fierce reputation, Akiyama was no stranger to the brutality of war. His directive was clear, defend Kwajalein at all costs. He rallied his men with impassioned speeches about honor, duty, and the spirit of Bushido, instilling a sense of purpose and resolve in the face of the impending battle. Under Akiyama's command, the Japanese forces went about fortifying the atoll with a grim determination. Artillery positions were strategically positioned, providing an interlocking field of fire that could decimate incoming attackers. Thick concrete bunkers and fortified positions were carved into the coral landscape, providing the defenders with protection against bombardment. The once beautiful lagoon had been transformed into a naval base, its calm waters now home to destroyers and submarines ready to strike against invading forces. Meanwhile, the airfield on Roynamor, the northern tip of the atoll, was buzzing with activity. Japanese Zero fighters and Val dive bombers were lined up, ready to take off at a moment's notice. The airfield was crucial, as control of the skies often dictated the outcome of a battle. Akiyama knew this, and he intended to make full use of his air assets. Life under this Japanese stronghold was harsh for the Marshallese. Their peaceful existence had been replaced by fear and uncertainty. Yet, amidst these hardships, they found strength in their community and leadership. Chief Kabua continued to be a beacon of hope for his people, providing guidance and strength in these challenging times. As the sun set each day over the fortified atoll, the Japanese soldiers steeled themselves for the battle to come. Their stronghold was ready, and so were they. The calm Pacific waters belied the fury that was about to descend on Kwajalein. In this grim fortress, under the command of a resolute leader, 
they waited for the storm of war to break upon them. In the far reaches of the Pacific, the U.S. Pacific Fleet was converging. Under Admiral Spruance's watchful eye, an armada of naval power was forming, the likes of which had seldom been seen. Ships of every kind, from aircraft carriers and battleships to cruisers, destroyers, and countless landing craft, filled the vast expanse of the ocean. It was a sight that could inspire awe and fear, an embodiment of American resolve in the face of the adversities of war. On board these vessels, men readied themselves for the coming conflict. Sailors ran final checks on their weapons, ensuring that every gun was primed and ready. Marines and soldiers polished their rifles and checked their equipment, their faces a mix of determination and anxiety. In the aircraft hangars, pilots meticulously inspected their fighters and bombers, aware that control of the skies could turn the tide of the battle. Admiral Spruance, a picture of calm amidst the gathering storm, oversaw the preparations. He knew that each man under his command, from the greenest recruit to the most seasoned veteran, played a crucial role in the operation's success. He made it a point to visit the various ships, providing words of encouragement and reinforcing the importance of the mission. His leadership, a blend of strategic insight and personal touch, played a crucial role in maintaining morale. Simultaneously, thousands of miles away, Kwajalein was bracing for the onslaught. Admiral Akiyama and his men stood steadfast their determination hardened by the knowledge that they were the last line of defense for their empire. Amidst the military preparations, the Marshallese, under Chief Kabua's guidance, found their own ways to prepare, seeking safety and praying for a swift end to the impending battle. As the American fleet sailed closer, the tension on both sides was palpable. War was no longer a distant threat, it was knocking at the door. The stage was set. The players were in place, and the Pacific, once a theater of peace, was about to become a stage for one of World War II's pivotal battles. In this vast oceanic theater, the storm was gathering, and the Battle of Kwajalein was about to begin. Chapter 3 Battle Unleashed The first light of dawn on January 31, 1944, brought with it the roar of airplane engines. High above the quiet Pacific, squadrons of American bombers began their descent toward Kwajalein. Below, the men aboard the U.S. Fifth Fleet watched the horizon anxiously. It was the beginning of Operation Flintlock, and the opening salvo was about to be unleashed. Admiral Spruance, on the bridge of his flagship USS Indianapolis, gave the signal. As if on cue, the heavy bombers descended releasing a deadly cargo onto the Japanese defenses below. The sky was filled with the piercing whistles of descending bombs, each explosion sending a shockwave across the atoll. Kwajalein, the Pacific paradise, was under attack. In the face of this aerial onslaught, the Japanese responded with spirited anti-aircraft fire. Guns of all calibers barked into the sky, trying to swat the invading bombers from the air. Despite their efforts, the initial bombardment was devastating. Bunkers were breached, and several artillery positions were silenced. But the Japanese were far from beaten. Rear Admiral Akiyama, observing the assault from his command bunker, remained resolute, ordering his men to hold their ground.
Meanwhile, a few miles offshore, the Fifth Fleet launched its next phase. Battleships, cruisers, and destroyers unleashed a barrage of naval gunfire. The deafening roar of heavy cannons echoed across the Pacific as shells rained down on the atoll, targeting Japanese fortifications. It was a symphony of destruction designed to soften up the defenses ahead of the impending ground assault. Back on Kwajalein, amidst the chaos and destruction, the Marshallese sought shelter. Chief Kabua led his people into the island's interior, away from the bombardment. The once tranquil atoll had turned into a raging battlefield, and for the island's original inhabitants, survival was the only thing that mattered. As the opening salvo of the Battle of Kwajalein subsided, a brief silence fell. Smoke and dust clouded the horizon, masking the destruction wrought on the atoll. But this was just the beginning. Soon, the sound of landing craft engines filled the air, signaling the start of the ground assault. The Battle of Kwajalein was underway. With the initial bombardment over, the waters around Kwajalein began to churn with activity. Amphibious landing crafts, laden with marines and army infantry, began their treacherous journey toward the atoll. The stage was set for the land assault, the heart of Operation Flintlock. On the beachheads of Kwajalein, the Japanese defenders prepared to meet them. Aboard the landing crafts, the American servicemen waited with bated breath. There was an unnerving calm, only broken by the soft lapping of waves against the craft. For many, this was their first taste of combat. The veterans among them, like Sergeant Tom Bradley of the 4th Marine Division, lent a comforting presence. They imparted last-minute advice and words of courage, reminding their comrades that they were a part of something bigger. As the landing crafts drew closer to the atoll, the Japanese defenders sprang into action. Machine guns and mortars roared to life filling the air with a deadly hail of bullets and shrapnel. The serene Pacific morning was replaced by the cacophony of battle. Each landing craft became a target, and the waters around the atoll soon turned into a deadly obstacle course. Despite the fierce resistance, the American forces pushed forward. The landing crafts hit the beach, and the men poured out, fighting their way through the Japanese gunfire. Stories of bravery and heroism unfolded on the beaches, men like Corporal James Johnson, who, despite being wounded, led his squad through a hail of bullets to secure a foothold. Meanwhile, Rear Admiral Akiyama, watching the scene unfold from his command bunker, orchestrated his men's defense. Despite the bombardment, many of his defenses remained intact. The battle-hardened Japanese troops fought with tenacity, reflecting their commander's resolve. On the other side of the atoll, the Marshallese, under Chief Kabua's guidance, watched the battle unfold with trepidation. Their homes had become a war zone, and all they could do was hope for a swift conclusion. As the day drew to a close, the landings under fire marked a significant phase in the Battle of Kwajalein. The American forces had secured a foothold on the atoll, a crucial step in their plan. However, the Japanese were far from defeated. The battle for Kwajalein was far from over. The initial landings on Kwajalein had been hard fought, but the American forces had established a beachhead. Now, they had to press their advantage. 
the objective was clear, drive the Japanese defenders back and seize control of the atoll. But as the Americans prepared for their push, the Japanese were equally determined to hold their ground. Admiral Spruance, aboard the USS Indianapolis, was acutely aware of the task at hand. He understood that the success of Operation Flintlock hinged on maintaining momentum. The word was passed down the line, press forward, seize objectives, keep the pressure on the enemy. With these orders, the American forces launched their assault. Leading the charge on the ground was Lieutenant Colonel Evans Carlson, a seasoned combat leader and inspirational figure. His leadership style was unorthodox but effective. He encouraged initiative among his men and led from the front, earning the respect and admiration of his troops. Under his command, the American soldiers began to make significant headway. Meanwhile, in the skies above Kwajalein, American pilots fought fiercely to maintain air superiority. Squadron leader Robert Moose Foss, a decorated fighter ace, led his men into the thick of the aerial combat. Their P-38 Lightning aircraft danced and weaved in the sky, engaging the Japanese Zero fighters in a deadly ballet. Control of the skies was vital, and these brave pilots risked everything to ensure it remained in American hands. As the battle raged, the Marshallese continued to find safety in the island's interior. Chief Kabua, their steady hand amidst the chaos, worked tirelessly to keep his people safe and their spirits high. His leadership in these testing times ensured the survival and resilience of the Marshallese people. However, the tide was indeed turning. Despite the fierce resistance, the Japanese found themselves slowly losing ground. The relentless pressure from the American forces was gradually overwhelming their defenses. Rear Admiral Akiyama, realizing the shift in momentum, rallied his men for what he knew would be their final stand. By the end of this phase, the outcome of the Battle of Kwajalein was becoming clear. The American forces were on the brink of a significant victory, a victory that would not only change the course of the battle but also alter the trajectory of the war in the Pacific. Yet, the final push was still to come, and it was bound to be the most grueling fight yet. Chapter 4 Triumph and Tragedy With the tide of the battle decisively shifting in favor of the Americans, the final assault on Kwajalein's defenses began. Under the watchful eye of Admiral Spruance, the U.S. forces rallied for the decisive push. The objective was clear, break the Japanese defenses and seize control of the atoll. On the ground, Lieutenant Colonel Carlson led his men forward. He was a figure of resolve amidst the chaos, rallying his men with a determined cry, gung-ho. This Chinese phrase, meaning work together, had become Carlson's mantra, and his troops echoed it as they charged. Among the soldiers on the front line was Private Jack Thompson, an ordinary man swept up in the extraordinary circumstances of war. Thompson had been an Illinois farmer before the war, but now he found himself leading his squad through the bullet-ridden landscape of Kwajalein, pushing towards the heart of the Japanese defenses. In the air, squadron leader Robert Moose Foss and his pilots continued their relentless attacks, keeping the Japanese fighters occupied and dropping crucial support to the ground troops. Their P-38 lightnings roared through the skies, providing a protective shield for the advancing American infantry. 
In the face of the American onslaught, the Japanese resistance was beginning to crumble. Despite their bravery and tenacity, they were simply overwhelmed. Rear Admiral Akiyama, watching his defenses being overrun, gave one last order, every man was to fight to the last. It was an order imbued with the spirit of Bushido, the way of the warrior, a code that demanded honor even in defeat. Amidst this ferocious final assault, Chief Kabua and the Marshallese watched anxiously from their shelters. They could hear the battle intensifying, and they knew that their island's fate was hanging in the balance. The American forces continued their push, and by nightfall, they had succeeded in breaking the last of the Japanese defenses. The Battle of Kwajalein was drawing to a close. With the atoll under their control, the U.S. forces had achieved their objective. But the price had been high, and the impact of this victory was about to be felt far beyond the shores of this small Pacific island. Victory at Kwajalein came at a steep cost. As the smoke cleared and the last shots echoed away, the grim realities of the battle came into focus. The once tranquil atoll was a scarred landscape, marked by the fury of battle and littered with the remnants of a fierce struggle. Among the American ranks, exhaustion and relief intermingled. Lieutenant Colonel Carlson, surveying the aftermath, felt a profound sadness. The cost in human lives was high, a somber reminder of the grim toll of warfare. Among the casualties was Private Jack Thompson, the farmer from Illinois, who had fought bravely to the end. The stories of sacrifice were numerous, each a testament to the courage and resolve of these men. In the skies, Squadron Leader Foss and his pilots returned to their carriers. Their planes bore the marks of intense aerial combat, bullet holes and burn marks testimony to their perilous mission. They had maintained air superiority and provided vital support, but at a cost. Several pilots didn't return, their sacrifice etched in the annals of the air war over the Pacific. On the Japanese side, the defeat was devastating. Rear Admiral Akiyama, along with most of his men, had perished in the battle, honoring the Bushido Code till the end. The brave but futile defense of Kwajalein had exacted a heavy toll, nearly decimating the Japanese garrison. Among the Marshallese, the aftermath of the battle was a time of great uncertainty. Chief Kabua emerged from hiding to find his homeland changed irrevocably. The island was scarred and the future of his people hung in the balance. Yet, in the face of adversity, he led them with strength and hope. Admiral Spruance, aboard the USS Indianapolis, felt a bittersweet sense of victory. He had accomplished his mission, but the cost had been high. The Battle of Kwajalein, while a strategic victory, had revealed the stark realities of the war in the Pacific every inch gained would be paid for in blood. The victory at Kwajalein marked a significant turning point in the Pacific War. Yet, its true cost in human lives and the physical devastation of the atoll was a grim reminder of the realities of war. As the U.S. forces prepared for the next phase of their Pacific campaign, the echoes of the Battle of Kwajalein would linger long in their memories. In the aftermath of the Battle of Kwajalein, the Pacific was forever changed. The toll had been high the scars deep, but the strategic victory marked a significant turning point.
As the days and weeks passed, the reverberations of this battle could be felt across the vast expanses of the ocean and beyond. Admiral Spruance, stationed aboard the USS Indianapolis, began planning the next phases of the Pacific Campaign. The victory at Kwajalein had opened the door to further American advances in the Pacific, making it possible to implement the island-hopping strategy. The next target was the Mariana Islands, another strategic stronghold of the Japanese Empire. The Admiral knew the path ahead would be fraught with more battles and, inevitably, more sacrifices. For Lieutenant Colonel Carlson, the battle's end brought about a sobering reflection. The stories of bravery and sacrifice among his men, such as that of Private Jack Thompson, were testimonies of the human spirit's resilience and strength in the face of adversity. These stories became a beacon of inspiration as the American forces prepared for the battles ahead. In the sky, squadron leader Foss and his pilots were hailed as heroes. Their vital role in maintaining air superiority and providing ground support was widely recognized. Despite the loss of comrades, their spirits remained undeterred, their resolve solidified by the recent victory. Meanwhile, Chief Kabua and the Marshallese people emerged from the shadows of war to face a drastically changed landscape. Their peaceful atoll was now a key military base, occupied by foreign forces. The chief's leadership became even more critical as they navigated the uncertain waters of the post-battle period. In the grand scheme of World War II, the Battle of Kwajalein was a decisive turning point. The victory signaled the beginning of the end for the Japanese Empire's hold over the Pacific. However, this victory came with a profound realization, the road to peace would be long and fraught with more battles. In the years that followed, the Battle of Kwajalein would be remembered as a symbol of courage and sacrifice. Its legacy would not only be marked by the strategic victory it brought, but also by the stories of the men and women whose lives were irrevocably impacted by it. Chapter 5 Ripples Across the Pacific In the broader context of World War II, the Battle of Kwajalein represented a significant step forward in the Allies' grand strategy in the Pacific. The control of Kwajalein and the Marshall Islands provided a strategic foothold from which further operations in the Central Pacific could be launched. The ripple effects of this victory were felt far beyond the borders of the small atoll. Admiral Spruance, with a strategist's eye, recognized the implications of the victory. Kwajalein's capture paved the way for the island-hopping strategy, a crucial element of the Allies' plans to bring the war closer to Japan's home islands. The victory also sent a strong message to the Japanese command the tide of the war was turning. Back in Washington, President Franklin D. Roosevelt was briefed on the victory. The success of Operation Flintlock boosted the morale of the American public and renewed their confidence in the path to victory. While the president understood the victory's significance, he also realized that it signaled a new phase of the Pacific War, one that would bring the fight to Japan's doorstep. On the other side of the world, the news of Kwajalein's fall was a blow to the Japanese high command. It signaled a significant weakening of Japan's defensive perimeter and was a harsh reminder of American military prowess. For Emperor Hirohito and his advisors, the loss of Kwajalein was a bitter pill to swallow, marking the beginning of an ominous shift in the Pacific's balance of power. 
In the UK, Prime Minister Winston Churchill received the news of the American victory with satisfaction. The success at Kwajalein boosted the morale of the Allies and validated the decision to let America take the lead in the Pacific, while Britain focused its efforts on defeating Nazi Germany. In the end, the Battle of Kwajalein served as a linchpin in the Allies' strategy to win the war in the Pacific. Its impact was far-reaching, setting the stage for a series of battles that would ultimately bring the war to Japan's doorstep and dramatically alter the course of World War II. The legacy of Kwajalein went far beyond the confines of the small atoll, its echoes resonating on a global scale. As the dust settled on Kwajalein, the tide of war was indeed changing. This small atoll had become a pivot point, a signal that the balance of power in the Pacific was shifting. With its strategic location now in Allied hands, the trajectory of the Pacific War was forever altered. In Washington, President Roosevelt and his advisors assessed the victory's significance. Among them was General George Marshall, the U.S. Army Chief of Staff. A pragmatist at heart, Marshall recognized the momentum this victory had given the Allied forces. He knew that seizing this moment could shorten the war and save countless lives. Across the Atlantic, Winston Churchill, too, acknowledged the shift in momentum. Though deeply entrenched in the battle against Hitler's forces in Europe, Churchill understood that the victory at Kwajalein brought the Allies a step closer to defeating the Axis powers on both fronts. In Moscow, Soviet leader Joseph Stalin received the news of Kwajalein with a keen interest. As the Soviet Union was bearing the brunt of the fight against Germany, Stalin saw the progress in the Pacific as an encouraging sign that his Western allies were making headway against Japan, which could potentially alleviate pressure on the Eastern Front. In Japan, the loss of Kwajalein was a sobering wake-up call. Prime Minister Hideki Tojo and the Japanese High Command were forced to reassess their strategy. The Battle of Kwajalein had demonstrated the devastating efficiency of the American military, making it clear that the war was far from over. Back on Kwajalein, the Marshallese people, led by Chief Kabua, watched as the American forces transformed their homeland into a critical military base. Though the battle had ended, their struggle to preserve their way of life amidst the turbulence of war was just beginning. The Battle of Kwajalein signaled a turning point in World War II. The victory not only boosted the morale of the Allied forces but also reinvigorated their strategy in the Pacific. The reverberations of this changing tide of war were felt from the quiet corridors of power in Washington, London, and Moscow to the bullet-ridden shores of Kwajalein, marking the beginning of a new chapter in the history of the Second World War. The Battle of Kwajalein not only sent ripples through the Pacific but also impacted the global stage of World War II. The victory represented a turning point that changed perceptions and strategies beyond the Pacific theater. In the United States, President Roosevelt continued his passionate speeches, galvanizing the American spirit. News of the victory at Kwajalein reassured the public and reinforced their support for the ongoing war efforts. For Roosevelt, Kwajalein symbolized the possibility of an ultimate Allied victory. Over in Europe, British Prime Minister Winston Churchill faced the intense and bloody struggle against Nazi Germany. While his primary focus was the European theater, 
the success at Kwajalein reinforced his faith in the alliance with the United States. It provided hope that with such victories in the Pacific, a similar tide change was possible against the German Wehrmacht. In Germany, the news from the Pacific gave Adolf Hitler pause. The Fuhrer had dismissed Japan's ability to hold back the Allied forces. Yet, the loss at Kwajalein demonstrated the Allies' growing strength and resolve, a sobering reminder of the challenges he faced on multiple fronts. In the Soviet Union, Joseph Stalin, embroiled in the brutal Eastern Front, received the news of Kwajalein with muted satisfaction. Stalin had long been pressuring his Western allies to open a second front in Europe. The victory in the Pacific meant that the Allies had not only the will but also the capability to fight and win on multiple fronts, raising Stalin's hopes for a Western front against Germany. As far as China, Chiang Kai-shek, leader of the nationalist forces, was in the throes of resisting Japanese aggression. The news of Kwajalein brought much-needed optimism, symbolizing potential aid and support from the Allies. Thus, the victory at Kwajalein was not just a pivotal moment in the Pacific War. It also sent a clear message across the globe, affecting leaders and ordinary people alike. From the American Midwest to the bomb-battered streets of London, from the frozen Eastern Front to the war-torn Chinese countryside, the echo of Kwajalein's fall was heard, symbolizing a beacon of hope in the darkest hours of World War II. Chapter 6 Legacy of the Battle the echoes of the Battle of Kwajalein continue to resonate, even as the world has moved far beyond the time of World War II. The remnants of war serve as potent reminders of the past, their presence speaking volumes about the history of the small atoll. In the United States, the National World War II Museum in New Orleans displays artifacts from the Battle of Kwajalein. The most notable of these is a battered American flag that once flew over the atoll its fabric worn and weathered, yet symbolizing the grit and determination of the soldiers who fought there. Meanwhile, on Kwajalein Atoll itself, remnants of the fierce battle remain scattered across the landscape. Visitors can see the rusting hulks of Japanese tanks and artillery, half buried in the sand, as well as crumbling concrete pillboxes that once formed part of the island's formidable defenses. Walking through these sites is akin to stepping back in time and one cannot help but feel a sense of awe at the magnitude of the battle that took place here. In Japan, the Yasukuni Shrine, a memorial dedicated to the nation's war dead, includes a list of the soldiers who lost their lives defending Kwajalein. This sacred site serves as a place of remembrance, where families and veterans gather to honor the sacrifices made during the battle. Back on Kwajalein, the Marshallese people continue to commemorate the battle with stories passed down through generations. Kabula the Great's descendants continue to lead their people, keeping the memory of the battle alive. Every year, the Marshallese gather for a day of remembrance, paying tribute to both the Allied and Japanese soldiers who lost their lives on their homeland. The remnants of the Battle of Kwajalein, whether tangible artifacts or intangible memories, serve as silent testaments to the historical significance of this battle. These remnants ensure that the Battle of Kwajalein, and the men and women who were part of it, are not forgotten, keeping the past alive even as we move forward into the future. Kwajalein, the site of one of World War II's most pivotal battles, 
continues to live in memory, preserved in the hearts and minds of those who remember the conflict and its profound impact. In America, veterans of the Battle of Kwajalein have kept their experiences alive through oral histories and memoirs, recounting their stories to new generations. In annual gatherings, these veterans come together to honor fallen comrades and remember the courage and camaraderie that define their time on Kwajalein. One such veteran, Joseph Marshall, meticulously recorded his experiences, painting a vivid picture of the battle and its aftermath, preserving his memories for future generations. In Japan, too, the memory of Kwajalein endures. Veterans and family members make annual pilgrimages to the Yasukuni Shrine to pay homage to the men who lost their lives on the far-off atoll. Stories of valor and sacrifice, such as that of Lieutenant Commander Yokoyama, serve as reminders of the human cost of the conflict. Back on Kwajalein Atoll, the Marshallese people have not forgotten the battle that turned their peaceful home into a war zone. Every year, on the anniversary of the battle, they gather for a day of remembrance and reflection, led by the descendants of Chief Kabua. These commemorations include traditional songs and dances, retelling the story of the battle and honoring the sacrifices made by both the Allied and Japanese forces. In the world of academia, historians continue to delve into the Battle of Kwajalein's significance. The battle is studied not just as a military event but also as a pivotal moment in the geopolitics of World War II. Professor Linda Bailey, a renowned historian at Stanford University, has dedicated her career to understanding the Pacific theater's dynamics, with Kwajalein often at the center of her research. The Battle of Kwajalein is not just a footnote in the annals of history but an event that remains fresh in the collective memory. From personal reminiscences to academic studies, from memorial ceremonies to preserved battlefields, the memory of Kwajalein continues to remind us of the bravery, sacrifice, and enduring human spirit exhibited during one of history's most challenging periods. The Battle of Kwajalein was a pivotal event that not only shaped the course of World War II but also imparted lessons that continue to echo in the annals of military history, geopolitical strategies, and human resilience. Military strategists have studied the tactics and strategies employed in the battle, extracting valuable lessons. The successful use of amphibious operations by the U.S. forces under Admiral Nimitz highlighted the importance of combined land, sea, and air power. This coordinated approach has since been integrated into military doctrines worldwide. From a geopolitical perspective, the battle underscored the interconnectedness of global events. President Roosevelt, Prime Minister Churchill, and other leaders saw how a victory in a small, remote atoll could reverberate globally, boosting morale and altering strategic calculations. This awareness of the global interconnectedness of local events has since informed international policy and strategy. Beyond strategies and tactics, the Battle of Kwajalein taught lessons about human resilience in the face of adversity. The determination of American soldiers, the tenacity of the Japanese defenders, and the resilience of the Marshallese people all stand testament to the indomitable human spirit. One particular lesson of resilience comes from a Marshallese elder, Jacobo, a child during the battle, who later became a peacemaker and mediator in the community. 
He drew upon his memories of the battle and its aftermath to teach younger generations about the importance of peace and cooperation. The lessons learned from Kwajalein also extend to reconciliation. Following the war, the United States and Japan moved from being bitter enemies to close allies, demonstrating that nations can overcome past animosities and build cooperative relationships. The legacy of Kwajalein transcends the confines of the atoll. From military academies to peace forums, from history classes to diplomatic councils, the lessons learned from Kwajalein continue to influence and inform. Whether it's a strategic lesson about amphibious operations or a human lesson about resilience and reconciliation, the Battle of Kwajalein remains a source of wisdom and inspiration.